Jay's World rolls on, and today we have a special guest I'm very excited about. Her name is Jacint Wamala, a young lady I had a chance to meet during the 2020 year when we were hanging out in Franklin, Tennessee for a couple of days together. And since then, I have followed her on social media to watch her journey, an amazing journey that it has been. Jacint, how are you doing today? I'm well. How are you? Thank you for having me. Man, you know, I'm, I'm grateful that you accepted my uh, invitation. I've learned a lot from watching you. I like the grind. I love the grind. But I really wanted to introduce you to Jay's world so you can tell my audience about the grind. So in a nutshell, tell us your background. Yeah, so I, you know, was born in Uganda, raised in Las Vegas, and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist turned money mindset coach. So I wear a couple of different hats. In Las Vegas, in Nevada, I have a private practice where I work with millennial women of color on anxiety, depression, and trauma recovery. And in my own personal finance journey, I paid off over $90,000 of student loan and credit card debt in three years before my 30th birthday. And I recognize that all of my clients, except for one who was financially stable, mentioned money as a major stressor for them. So, you know, what I what I saw was a huge gap because in school we never talked about how to help people with money problems and money is one of the major reasons why couples, you know, break up, get divorced, why people are stressed out and, you know, frustrated, um, feeling stuck in their situation. And so I thought it was just a huge gap in services and that's when I turned into the money mindset coach and I help people essentially overcome their limiting beliefs, go from a scarcity to an abundance mindset eliminate debt, save, learn how to earn more and live their best lives. So I do that with my online course and community. From wellness to the money mindset coaching, how has your transition been? Yeah, it's been good. I still do have my practice at the same time as I am doing the coaching and whatnot, but it has been uh, kind of a smooth transition because I have been sharing my own story and, and just kind of, um, I guess, unintentionally motivating and inspiring people like it wasn't my intention um, to necessarily find myself doing this stuff but uh, it's been growing really well and people are really receptive because it I mean in the last year obviously like money is one of the, the big things that people are talking about and and having to face because of recent circumstances so it's been really good. Now did you go to school here in the states or Uganda? I went to school in Las Vegas, all of my schooling. So my question to you is one that you just touched on for a tad bit when you mentioned the term school. I thought about this this week. I cannot remember a single teacher nor professor mentioning the term money throughout my four years of high school and more than four years as a college student, I do not recall one person talking to me about the importance of money. What is it that you wish you would have known at 22 that you know now? Yeah, I wish I would have known at 22 the importance of, of having a strategy, of having a plan and finding a way, even if it's small, to start making progress on that plan. Like even if you put $25 away a month, like, you know what I mean? Like as a 22 year old, um, just practicing the discipline and the healthy habits, I would have wished that I would have known the significance of that because as a young person, you have time on your side, right? I wish I would have understood 
compound interest and the, the importance of budgeting. And so those are the major things that I think that, um, like you mentioned, no one is talking about in school, but a lot of people aren't talking about these things in their homes either. So, you know, in the household, like money is a hush hush topic or whatever, even though we kind of hear people talking about like there being a lack of money or, you know, not knowing what to do with or without the money. Um, and so I really wish I would have known, you know, how to budget, how important it was to get on a plan um, and to practice these healthy money habits, which are discipline and, um, you know, delayed gratification. You know what I mean? So as I'm listening to you talk and I was thinking about this as well, how much of the onus belongs on the teachers and professors? Because I am a parent of three. I look at it like my responsibility. Damn what the school system is teaching them. It's my responsibility to train them up so they can be financially secure and understand the ends of out of a credit card and what they are trying to accomplish after I leave. So how much onus should be on the parents? I think that it's so tough because people only do what they know how. So parents literally are doing what they know how, what was passed down to them and what they were given. However, I think that there has to be a certain place as a parent where you seek to evolve and grow past what you think you know. So I think parents also need to be open to learning and growing and evolving in their in their um, parenting skills and as individual so that they can set their kids up um, for things that maybe they never had or knew. So if it's not you, then you need to be reading books, you need to be listening to podcasts, you need to be getting around people um, who you see are teaching their kids the things that you would want your kids to know um, so that you're able to set them up appropriately. So I wouldn't say, I, I think that it is balanced. Like I think it's community responsibility and that it's a personal responsibility as a family because um, the community is going to suffer if the people are not educated. So that's why if we don't educate young people. Well, guess what? Like, how are they going to be able to go into the workforce and be productive citizens, right? If they don't have this information, we can't blame it on any one person. However, I will charge parents because I became an overnight mom. Okay. I, I have a bonus kid. I got married and my partner has an eight-year-old. So I became an overnight mom. Woo wee boy. That's this whole parenting thing. <laughs> oh, <laughs> hey, okay. It will force you to face yourself. And I think a lot of parents have trouble looking at themselves in the mirror, their own hurts and hangups and, and being able to work through that. And money is one of those places that's, that it is really prevalent. So yes, it is on the parents. They're only doing what they know how, but we also need to do better. We also could do better and that's okay. Now, before I get into your journey in terms of debt reduction, I want you to take me back. When did you realize this needed to be addressed? You know, you talk about 90,000 in three years, I believe. So go to 24, 25, 26. When did you say to yourself, this needs to be addressed? Yeah. So, I mean, the crazy thing is that I never wanted to go into debt in the first place but I lacked a plan. So in the, in the process of having the absence of a plan, I defaulted to society's plan. Society's plan sucks, okay? The society's plan says go to school. Charge it, charge it. You'll be 
Yes, put it on a credit card, you credit, it's it's what you have to have to be successful, but they don't explain why or how. And so because I didn't have a plan, I fell prey to society's hot mess plan. And it was when I was 26, I believe, and my, my cousin gave me the book, The Smart Money Woman. And um, I was reading it probably January, I think it was about four years ago now, um, a little over four years ago. And in the book, it tells you to calculate your net worth. And I had heard about a net worth. I'm like, Beyonce's got a net worth, you know, like Ice-T, he's got a net worth, I'm sure. But I didn't really think of myself as having one of those things. And so when I calculated it and saw the numbers together, because usually your accounts are separated. So your student loans are in one place, your credit cards are in another place, your car, you know, your, you know, your other credit cards and whatnot, and you never see the number all together. So when I calculated and put the whole number together, my net worth was negative $70,000 at the time. And I was like, oh, oh, wow, I did not know, okay? <laughs> so that was like a rude awakening for me. And I was at a crossroads. I said, okay, well, I can keep going down this path. And I know that if I keep going down this path, I don't like how it feels right now. So I'm definitely not going to like how it feels if I keep on accruing more interest and more debt, right? And I said, okay, what's the other path? The other path is, you know, you never wanted to go into debt. So how is it that now you're going to get yourself out of debt so you can live your best life? And I was like, okay, I, I could try that. Like, it's uncertain. It's, I can't control it 100%, but you could take a chance on yourself and give it a shot. So it was when I was about 26 that I calculated my net worth. And it was a whole lot negative, okay? And I was like, something's gotta give because this is not, the, the trajectory we're on right now is not looking like a fun ride. Were you in a relationship at that time? Were you married at that time? At that time, I was single. Yeah, at that time, I was, I was dating casually. I was not um, married or, or anything like that. Now, this episode is titled Money Matters, but let's go to the dating life for a second. When should we introduce money conversations when we're courting and looking at our potential significant other? Yeah, I think that that's a conversation that could be had up front. Now, I'm, it could be a personal thing. It might be just a me thing. But I think if, you, if you're talking about dating, you're talking about going somewhere and spending money, typically. Money is typically involved up front in the dating process. It is. So why would we be having a conversation about money up front if it's already kind of weaved into the process? Now, how you have that conversation, okay, that's another story. But, um, and for each person, it might look a little different. But I think that it's a conversation that needs to be had up front because it has bearings on a lot of what we do. I know that there's people that are in so much debt that they're just not even dating because they don't even know how to have that conversation. And if we could talk about these things up front and kind of say, you know, this is where we're at. This is where I'm at. This is my plan. This is what I'm doing. What are you doing? Are you on a budget? Like, where do you, what date do you want to go on? Do you want to do a picnic? Or so we can have open conversations up front because how can you think you're going to be in a relationship? If you can have a conversation about, this one thing, how are you going to have conversations about stuff that is so much harder and so much more challenging um, than the money talk? So I personally favor having these conversations up front, being honest and compassionate with kindness. Like I'm not saying go and be mean or something like, are you going to take me to get some steak or whatever? Like I'm not saying <laughs> to, make, to be mean, but I think being honest and open from the get-go creates a different pathway for your relationship to prosper. So as we approach the 
part of the conversation where we talk about strategy. I want to ask you this because I thought about it during that particular answer. Is there shame involved in debt? And why is that? Yeah, there's there's shame involved in just money in general. So debt is like a lower, <laughs> there's even more shame when we talk about debt. Shame, embarrassment, guilt, um, all kind of get wrapped up in a present that is at your door every day when you have debt. And so um, it's crazy because that's what the, that's what society says, right? So the the system says, do this, get this debt. It's good debt, right? Quote unquote, good debt. Um, but yet when people have it, they don't feel good about it and it doesn't resonate with their spirit. And so um, it's really challenging to kind of reconcile this inner turmoil where you felt like you were doing everything you know, the right way, the way that society told you to, um, and it's not working out. Yeah, unfortunately, so, and I talk to people about this all the time, so much guilt, so much shame, so much embarrassment, um, and shame that they don't want to, they're scared to talk about it. They're scared. For you individually, we, you mentioned the word strategy, which I love. You have to be strategic about anything in life. Talk to me about the process of putting together that strategy. Did you go to the dining room table with a bunch of paperwork or a bunch of bills? How did you put together the strategy to get you where you are now? Yeah, so the strategy really began with, you know, uh, my, my cousin getting me the book and calculating my net worth, right? So you have to figure out where you are on a map before you can start driving to a different location. So um, that might look like pulling out all of your, your, your bills or whatever your costs are and everything like that to figure out, okay, where am I right now? And that's, I think that's one of the biggest hiccups for people is, is seeing everything, kind of seeing like the wreckage. Or, and sometimes people think it's worse than it actually is because they've been avoiding it so long that they don't even know. And sometimes it is worse than you thought it was going to be, but you still have to face it. So um, getting an honest idea of where you're at is the first thing. And then deciding what you want to do from that place. Because when I did, when I came up with my decision and said, I need to be debt free, I need to get out of this debt, I only made like $17,800 in the year 2016 with a master's degree. I was broke. Okay. I was capital B. Capital B R O K E E E E. Okay. I was broke. And so I didn't have the funds. And I think that's what gets people's in gets in the way for people too, is that they're like, oh, there's just no way this is going to happen. So I just have to keep up. Well, I guess I'm just stuck. Right. But I decided, I said, I'm getting out of this debt. I don't know how the how is not for me. Okay. I'm gonna get out of this debt. And then what's within my control to do something about. So then I said, all right, well, I'm not making enough money because I looked at the, you look at your budget and stuff. Some people have an income problem. Some people have a budgeting problem. I had both, okay? I never made a budget before March of 2017. <laughs> so then I started tracking my, my money. So I started budgeting and I said, okay, I have an income problem. That means I need to increase my income. And some people don't believe that they could increase their income. They don't believe that they're going to be able to find a way to earn more to make up for the difference in their budget. And so I was just applying for jobs and I was praying and I was writing on a daily basis. And I was like, I need the perfect situation where I can make up for this amount, this gap to be able to pay my debt down. It was $70,000 to start. I calculated $70,000 and I said, hmm, when would it be nice to be out of debt? 
it'd be nice to be out of debt by the time I'm 30. That would be nice. And then I could spend the rest of my life doing whatever I want. That was about three years. I said 70,000 divided by three years, divide that by 12 months, gave me about $2,000 a month that I have to pay in order to be out of debt by the time I'm 30. It was that simple, but I didn't have the $2,000 a month, okay. (laughs) But that gave me a target. So then I can say, how much do I need to recoup? How much do I need to increase my income, work overtime, side hustle, whatever, um, to be able to pay it down? So then I started selling stuff around my house, all kinds of things, the blender, a candle holder, you know, my dresser, my couch. I started selling stuff left and right. And that was to get my emergency fund, my initial emergency fund of $1,000. As the same time, I am applying for jobs and I'm actually applying for these jobs that I didn't think I would have qualified or gotten. And I'm getting interviews and I'm getting these jobs. And I'm like, huh, except they're not the right job just yet. So I'm like turning down jobs, mind you, when I'm still trying to figure out how I'm going to pay this debt off. But that's where, you know, you have to rely on your, your spiritual fortification so that you're able to, so that you're able to understand, like at the end of the day, you're covered and things are going to work exactly as they should, because it ain't you that's orchestrating this whole thing in the first place. So you are just supposed to be faithful and keep putting one foot in front of the other. And that's where I think people get tripped up as well, because we want to control our own situation. Like we got trust issues to the point that we don't even trust God, like to be real. We want to so be in control. We, we think we do, but we typically the ones messing it up. <laughs> we are the ones messing it up. Oh my goodness. So yeah, that's what I did. I read the book, calculated my network, decided I'm going to get out of this debt, don't know how, started looking for jobs, prayed every day, wrote every day, started selling stuff. And as just like if you're a parent and you have a kid, you wanna see your kid try before you help them. Like you don't want to just give your kid all the answers because you know, if you just provide your kid all of the answers all the time, they're never gonna be self-reliant. They're never gonna be able to learn how to do things on their own to some extent, right? And so that's how I think that God sees us is that God's like, I need you to put some effort in, okay? I can't just be out here giving you all the answers all the time. So I think that in the process of, you know, starting to to commit myself and saying, okay, I'm doing it. I'm doing what I am in control of, what I think I can do. And then God was like, cool. It's like a match. If you work at a job, it's like a 401k match. You do your part and God's like, boom, I'll match you and I'll take it to the next level. I'll give you a bonus as well. So that's where it really kind of got going, found the right job, started working a lot, okay? Really, how are you gonna pay off your debt? You gonna go to work, you're gonna work. There's no lotto, there's no somebody coming to save you like I went to work for three years straight. (laughs) (laughs) You're listening to Jay's World Podcast. You can email the show and suggest topics for an upcoming episode. Email jay at jay.gilmore at memphis.edu. You know, I'm thinking about an analogy of how discouraging the weight scale can be. Mm. Young lady looking at people on Instagram, she doesn't feel like she's where she needs to be. And I say young lady, but this can be a man as well. Um, so I start to work out and I, I, I give it a two hour journey on Monday night and I get on the scale on Tuesday morning and the scale doesn't move. Or even worse, to be honest, in the weight industry, you might even put on some pounds because muscle weighs more than fat. Can you talk about the reverse of that? And what I mean is into your process, seeing that number decline, seeing that number 
decrease. How much motivation was that for you to keep on doing, keep on working the strategy? Yes, you know, and in the beginning, like I didn't put any big payments on my debt until October, November of 2017. So I was working really hard for nine, 10 months straight, not seeing the number go down, faithfully continuing to put one foot in front of the other because it's a process at the end of the day. So then when I was able to put these low payments down on my on my debt, which, you know, you could see like money in your account and you're like, hmm, that's a bag or Ooh, that's a trip. Like I go on a on a, a nice little trip for that amount of money that I'm putting on this debt, right? Like once you make it happen, but seeing the number go down is like one of the most gratifying experiences in life. Like, and then when you get to paying off a debt, that's why the snowball method is really to me one of the best ways because psychologically it's gratifying and you positively reinforce the behavior of making progress because if you can get rid of the smallest debt which a lot of people can get rid of their smallest debt fast that it feels so good that you want to do it again that's called positive reinforcement so um being able to gain that momentum and get the snowball rolling and see the number go and it's like oh my gosh it's actually happening <laughs> then this is why some people say um debt consolidation is can can work against you because when it's one huge lump sum, a lot of people get discouraged because they feel like, oh my gosh, like it's not going anywhere. It's this just huge. But when it's these, all these little ankle biter debts or whatever, and you start knocking them out one by one, you're like, I'm really doing this. Like, yeah, it's like when you're in the gym and you, you hit a new PR or something, right? You hit a new, a new weight that you you've lifted. Like, I'm actually making this happen. Well, if I can make this happen, like what else, what else can I make happen? And it really does, it really does turn into like a, a process of a cycle of motivation because people think motivation comes first and that's a lie. <laughs> motivation comes after you do something. You have to commit yourself to making a choice you do it and then you feel good. That's where the motivation lies. You do it again and you feel good. You do it again and you feel good. So we think that we're supposed to feel like doing stuff. No, that's not how it's set up. Sorry, you got it's the other way around. But it, it, oh my gosh. And what I tell people is like, if that's what you do in your debt reduction journey is you learn how to pay down this debt, you're paying your dues, right? And then the snowball rolls in the other direction once you're out of debt. And that on that, that that's like a whole nother experience that I mean, I don't even it's, I barely have the words to describe because I'm I'm six months into it. And I'm just like jaw dropping when I look at my bank accounts now busting at the seams. You know, it's uh, you mentioned that. And I think money is such an uncomfortable conversation and people have to have these uncomfortable conversations. I can recall hearing you need X amount of months of an emergency fund. And, and it's, you're thinking, how in the hell am I going to get there if I'm barely paying the minimum amount here? But mm -hmm. to see your bank account on the other side is so gratifying in terms of, wow, you know, I, I used to tell my, my wife and even some personal friends, and I, this is just my, or this is not my current situation. My old situation was if, if Jacint is in Vegas, a relative is in Vegas and they pass away. Can I put me and my four, my wife and my three children on a plane to be there tonight? And if I can't do that with cash, I got a problem. Mm -hmm. Like if I, my, all of my family, a lot of my family is in California. Can I fly to California on a moment's notice? And then we're going to have to get a hotel for until the funeral, three or four days, you know, 
for me, that was my vision of making it. I don't want to go broke trying to go attend somebody's funeral. Um, I was going to ask you how gratifying was it to see the number go to zero? How gratifying was it to make that last payment and to be able to start the next chapter of watching that bank account grow? Yeah, that is, I still look at my accounts. <laughs> I still look at my accounts to make sure they still say zero and to just enjoy the feeling all over again, because that's how good it was. OK, three years of, you know, keeping my head down and working. It was one of it's honestly one of the best things I think I've ever done in my whole life. Like, I really feel like it's one of my my um prized possessions to be able to have done that. And I still celebrate on a regular basis, like daily. I'm like, thank you, God. Like, yes, you know, when something comes up, I can do it without an issue. Like I on a daily basis celebrate. So making the last payment was like, is this really happening? Is this really it? Like, I mean, what? Like, <laughs> um, and, and I'm, I'm just so glad. And to this day, even when other people tell me that they're paying down and making, making progress in their journeys, it feels the same as if I have done the thing. Like I feel just as excited for them awesome. as I do for myself and as I did for myself as I was on my journey. Tell us a little bit about now giving back. You talk about excitement because you felt it for yourself. Now you're, you're feeling it for another person when you said, you know, I want to shift this mindset and bless others. Talk about that mindset in terms of I'm where I want to be, but I can't be selfish with this information. Yeah. So what's wild is I started my journey. I thought selfishly, right? Cause I'm a little borderline bougie. So I do like to travel and I like kind of the finer things in life. So borderline, like, borderline, borderline borderline bougie borderline bougie okay <laughs> i ain't got no louis bags or nothing like that but i do like to travel nicely so um i i thought it was for myself that i was doing this and also a little bit of like how do i prepare to to get married and have kids in the best possible way as a young single person um but then in sharing and recognizing how me talking openly about money was helping other people to start, you know, addressing their situations. And uh, the more that, and then people would literally, like, they would never tell me what they were doing until they paid off their debt. And they're like, hey, because you showed, I did this. And I'm like, what? Like, I didn't even know. Okay, like, wonderful. That's so good. So the, the fact that you know, just being open and transparent about the process has inspired other people, helped me to think, oh my gosh, how could I do this intentionally? Because unintentionally, people were inspired and in making stuff happen. So I was like, okay, well, how can I get strategic now in this place as far as how do I purposefully support other people? So it's crazy because a year ago, um, I started a, a financial challenge. I said, hey, who wants to do a financial challenge in February? And a few people signed up. And one of the people that signed up saved $1,000 in the first 30 days and then was laid off in March. She saved $1,000 and was laid off the next month. And I'm like, what would have happened? Now, $1,000 may not seem like a lot of money to some people, <laughs> okay, but, you know, to some, that's your, that's, that's going to help you get through, you know, this little phase or this issue that you're dealing with right now. And so I was like, wow, like, for God to have positioned me to make my choices three, four years ago to that now I'm showing and helping people to be able to be okay in their situations during a pandemic, who knew, right? Um, 
is so phenomenal. Another girl that did the challenge, she saved $500 in less than 30 days. She was laid off the next month too. And who would have thought that them taking the time to commit themselves to, to a quick little daily challenge would help to position them to weather a storm. And both of them now are thriving and living their best lives. One of them is having her first kid this spring and she found a job and she came up, she came up with her plan to be debt-free by the time that she's 30. And, and she said, I think she said that she wanted to save six figures by the time that she by the time that she has her kid. I was like, dang girl, okay. Right. <laughs> I'm actually gonna chat with her tomorrow. The other person has always wanted to start a chocolate business. Now she has her chocolate business and she has weekly orders coming in. So it's, it's wild. And this is why it's important that we talk about this stuff because there are people on this planet whose stories are wrapped up in your journey. So if you aren't being authentic and in, in walking in your purpose and staying spiritually aligned, there are other people that are being held up because you aren't doing what you're supposed to. So I'm like, ooh, whenever I feel like quitting, whenever I'm like, oh, this is a lot or whatever, I'm like, all right, well, you know, like there's other people that are also watching and that this motivation and this inspiration, and then it refills me and it helps me to keep going. And being debt-free personally and my business is debt-free, man, I get to do what I want. Like I get to give what I, I get to give, I get to, I get to serve, I get to use my time, you know, the way I feel like God is calling me to. And it's just... There's nothing like it. And I want everyone to have this feeling. Jacint, I appreciate you, but I don't appreciate you trying to make me cry and get teary-eyed on my own podcast. Like this is not the intent of Jay's world, but I will be transparent with you. I think that when we are obedient, things just happen. Mm -hmm. And you can't see it in the moment. It might be an email that comes three days later. It might be, you can't see it. And, and but, but the God, the Lord is saying, are you going to trust me? Are you going to be obedient? Mm. He doesn't need us to be, he just needs us to be obedient. And you said at the beginning of the podcast, put one foot in front of the other, put one foot in front of the other. And as you do that, his grace is sufficient. <laughs> He can do much more if he has willing participants. You know, we need to allow him to work in our lives. And that starts with us just being obedient. That's it. It's very simple in theory, but in practice for a lot of people, it's really hard because that's where the the, the mental health um, piece comes in is because people have been betrayed, like their trust has been betrayed or people haven't been there for them or they feel like someone hasn't had their back or watched out for them. And humans are fickle, humans are imperfect, but God is not. So we can't be holding God to a human standard and comparing the two like, not trusting God because we haven't been able to trust people. So it's really, it, it, it's really simple in theory and in practice, it's a little bit, you know, there's a little bit more of a challenge, but it's possible. And there's support out there that you can, you know, tap into to be able to, to make it happen. This is why you need to be tapped in at your church. This is why you need to be in a, a, a group or whatever serving. That's why you need to be listening to Jay's world. This is why you need to be finding the right networks and people and pockets that are, you know, going to be supportive of your ability to evolve and grow. 
because we don't have to do it by ourselves. I don't know where in culture or whatever society told us that we had this whole idea of being self-made. It took at least two humans and one divine being to put you here. So you are not self-made. There is no such thing as self-made. And we have to recognize the importance in finding the right communities so that we're able to flourish and, and tap into our potential. We're all waiting. I'm waiting for whoever's listening right now to hear your story. I'm waiting for your podcast. I'm waiting for your debt-free scream. I'm waiting for your book, you know, um, and, and so many others are too. You know, I was just scrolling Instagram this morning and Master P was on the Breakfast Club and he was talking about ownership and how theoretically you don't have to have 100% ownership because you need other people in the room. I can interview and edit Jay's world, but I need a distribution channel. I need somebody else on the team to put it to Apple, to get it to Spotify. So I really frown upon the term self-made because no, you weren't. Somebody somewhere had to help you. And there's no shame in that. We need help along this journey and when you think about the term help and journey and people looking to what you have to say, I think of it as a tribe. And I noticed that you've called your tribe gems. And that's important to me because I used to be a sports anchor and I used to do a segment called Jay's Gems, Jay's Gems. And now watching you do your thing, you have just since gems. And we didn't know each other 20 years ago when I did that segment. You didn't know that until just now. But I'm watching you and it says just since gems and I'm like that's pretty cool I can rock with her yes yes I love it and you know and there's there's room for us all to prosper there's room for us all to grow collaboration over competition every single day right we can be in the same we can be in the same um, field or industry talking about the same things and there still be so much abundance for everybody to win, for everybody to grow. And so I think that we've been made to be crabs in a barrel to some extent, and we have to shed ourselves of that toxic, unproductive mindset. I'm supporting you and I'm lifting you up and I'm saying, yes, win, keep going, you know, um, keep flourishing. And you're saying the same to me and we can all be doing the same thing. That's why there's Balenciaga, FUBU, uh, Nike, Puma, they all got shoes and people are buying all those shoes. They're not worried about each other as competition. They're staying in their lane and serving really well. And so I think that, you know, I, when we can recognize how much more powerful we are as a group, right? You used to play sports, right? So you know the power of being on a team. You went about to play a playoff game by yourself. Like no, no game has ever been won by one person. Yeah, there's an MVP. Yeah, there's like a star player, whatever that means, but there can only be a star player because of all the other people on the team, because of all the coaches, because of the conditioning, because of the training. So we all maybe are the star in our own show to some extent, but we can only be made the star because God is lighting us up. So it's really just important, I think, to understand, especially right now, especially right now, that there are some big shifts going on and we can choose which side of that shift we wanna be on. And it's, it's, it's imperative to make that choice right now. Oh man, amazing, amazing information. I'm, I'm, I'm a gem. I'm one of Jacinth's gems. I'm glad to be a gem. Thank you so much for stopping by Jay's World. 
thank you for having me. It's been really good. And I'm so glad to, to share and to learn from you and to, to speak to your audience and, and make sure that you reach out to me, y'all, whoever's listening, come find me on Instagram. And when you come to my internet home, say, hey, don't be mean coming to my house and not and lurking and not saying nothing to me, but I'll probably chat with you first. <laughs> How can my people find you? Are most active on Instagram, just sense gems. That's J A C E N T S gems, G E M S. And that's the same name as my podcast as well. And I would love to chat it up with you and answer any questions you might have and just get to know you and your own story. What powerful information. I'm so grateful you came through today. We have to stop now because I have basically 35 more minutes of questions I could ask you. We have to get you back on and do a part two. To everybody out there listening in Jay's world, I'm thankful to you for listening. The last I checked, we were in 21 countries, 21 countries in under a year. I'm grateful. I'm trying to be obedient. And I want to thank you all for listening. Thanks for listening to Jay's World Podcast. Jay's World is brought to you by 5G Media and Gilmore Financial Services. Do you need your taxes done? Contact GFS at Gilmore Financial Services at Comcast.net.